You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you triathlon freaks and geeks, and welcome to another episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon the podcast where we go long on endurance and also try to improve ourselves a little bit along the way. All right, we have a very interesting show today. We have a training log towards the back end where I take you with me on all kinds of training escapades. And they may even have a little bit more from the Ozarks from last episode and they're out in the wilderness. And then also we are going to talk up front about the Buddha nature of dogs. So there's a age old, and I'm talking how many, how many, a thousand and something year old question in Zen. It's like the most classic question in Zen. And it is, uh, does a dog have Buddha nature is actually the question. <laughs> and there's a variety of answers. And it's a, it's a question that you're supposed to work on and then answer. Um, once you figure it out and then a Zen master judges you to see whether you got the answer right or wrong. And I'm going to tell you the actual truth behind the question, does a dog have Buddha nature? And then we are going to twist it a little bit into does a triathlete have Buddha nature? Because after all, this is a podcast about triathlon. So we got to do that kind of stuff. And I think uh, that's, that's the majority of the show. Let's get into that right after we kick off some really interesting triathlon news. Here we go. All right, we'll do the most fun thing first. In the racing world, the biggest triathlon to go down lately is Roth. And I believe they they pronounce it Rote. It's in Germany, but it's spelled R-O-T-H. And it's not an Ironman brand race. It's a challenge brand race. But it's kind of like... The Iron, it's like the uh, Challenge Race Brands um, Championship in a way. And it's just like the biggest, most fantastic triathlon in the world, a lot of people say. It's absolutely amazing. And even a lot of pros that whose, whose careers are made by winning Ironman races and winning Kona and all that will tell you that Rote or Roth is by far the best Ironman experience in the world. And we have uh, Sebastian Keenley won first place. I met him recently at Galveston. He won first place, which is, he puts up there with uh, one of the greatest things he's ever done. And then let's see, we have Jesse Thomas, either got second or third. And Jesse has actually been on this podcast a while back. He's a really cool guy. And he... Yeah, he did really well. And then on the female side, I think, was Miranda in it? Miranda Carfrey. Uh, The standout female performance that I noticed was Lucy Charles. Lucy Charles is this girl that's, and I I know she's a woman, but she's almost a girl because she's like one of the youngest ever uh, triathletes to do really, really well at Kona. She got second, I think, in Kona 2017 last year and uh, was just a breakout performance. Everybody's like, who is that? And she's an insanely good swimmer. 
So uh, she's uh, very interesting to a lot of people because she pretty much came out of nowhere. She's very young, so she should have a long career ahead of her. And uh, she's already getting second in Kona and now at Roth Road. And let's see. And she only got second by about nine seconds or something like that. And there's a there's a cool video and some photos of her trying to run down first place. And they were both about to die <laughs> at the uh, finish line. I didn't catch who the um, who the first place female was, but I think she's. She's not familiar to us here in the Western Hemisphere so much. She's German, but she's obviously very badass. So that was uh, the biggest news in racing. Uh, we got some bad news where uh, Terenzo Bozzone, and it's actually B-O-Z-Z-O-N-E, I think. So you say Bozzone. Is, uh, he's actually from New Zealand. He's not from Italy, but he's from uh, New Zealand, and he was training at home and got hit by a logging truck. And... I didn't jump right on the training log and start talking about it, even though it happened uh, several days ago, because I was waiting for more details to come in. It seems like it might've been a hit and run. And these are the details that I can gather, you know, here from the other side of the planet. It seems like it might've been a hit and run. It seems like where he was riding is, uh, is a pretty, pretty difficult place to ride. So they have problems with this, with uh, with uh, cyclists, well, with the drivers uh, getting too close to cyclists and stuff. And he had to go to the emergency room, and he's really banged up. But it seems like that he might end up being okay. And the bad icing on this bad cake is that he was killing it this year maybe the past year and a half. I mean, he was winning everything. So he he was being looked at as going into Kona and being a uh, very, very much a top contender, just like Sebastian Keenley and uh, Lucy Charles, like we were just talking about. And now, this close to Kona, he's been hit so hard um, that he uh, may not race uh, at all for a while. Um, the latest I also heard was that he is um, not paralyzed or anything like that but he did require facial surgery oh my god so it's not good and the other the other detail last detail is i heard that they identified the logging truck that might have hit him which um, in a lot of other countries if you're from the united states we have this problem here where it's like they blame the cyclist well in a lot of other countries they don't they blame the, the vehicle which is really really good the communities on the warpath, you know, trying. I don't know what the rules are exactly in New Zealand, but the communities on the warpath trying to locate this driver and prosecute him for uh, hitting and running. And I was thinking about it a little bit. I was like, well, man, you're driving a logging truck. The amount of weight and length of one of these things is it's it is possible to hit somebody with something that big and not notice, maybe. But I don't know anything about that. So that's that's the news in uh, cycling injuries. Uh, let's see. The next thing is we have some uh, cool bikes coming out. Uh, they're road bikes, but it's a sign that uh, we're probably going to be looking at some new triathlon bikes coming out. And I mean, triathlon bikes are pretty much the coolest part of triathlon. These TT bikes that we ride. And let's see, Cannondale. And who was the other one? Uh, Specialized, I think. 
uh, came out with new aero road bikes and they're really cool to go look at they're all in the news so go check them out because it gives you some ideas of what might be coming oh BMC came out with one and they're just really neat so go check that out get your bike porn fix and uh, start getting some ideas of what they might do with um, with tri bikes there's an interesting thing with the disc brakes so we're starting to see disc brakes more and more in road bikes and triathlon bikes and what we're seeing from these two or three new uh, road bikes that came out is disc brakes and we're probably going to see um their those brands like the bmc for example uh tri-bike will probably end up having disc brakes the problem with disc brakes on road bikes and triathlon bikes is mostly it's not entirely in people's heads because a lot of it is, well, people just don't like change. You know, if something works, they don't want to change it. Um, and then in triathlon, you have the, uh, the aerodynamic question. Is it, you know, more or less aerodynamic? And visually, because you look at bikes from the side, you would think it's less aer- aerodynamic. But actually, in testing, they're quite often um, just as fast, and sometimes even faster when you test them aerodynamically than regular old rim brakes and also the the amount of speed gain that you have going um, downhill and into turns because you're more confident braking and you can brake later because your braking really works really well is um, overall net effect as you go faster whenever they test riders on bikes with um, with disc brakes and it's not exactly the same, but you can you can ride um, a mountain bike with or without disc brakes on the same bike course, and it's obvious you go faster on a mountain bike uh, with disc brakes because your control is so much better. So that kind of depends on where you live. If if you live somewhere that is dead flat and you never turn, and the weather is perfect, so the roads are always dry, so your braking is great, and your road surface is totally smooth then yes, your rim brakes will be faster. (laughs) But you start adding in more of these problems that cyclists actually do encounter uh, every day, then, you know, as things start adding up, you know, imagine living in a part of the Pacific Northwest where it's wet, rainy, uh, potholed roads and hilly, mountainous even, and you say man my uh, my tri bike or road bike I'd be way faster with uh, disc brakes an interesting thing though is in professional cycling they don't like disc brakes for a very odd and interesting reason in that they want to be able to swap out wheels very quickly and a disc brake caliper is actually a really narrow slot and the disc itself has to fit in that perfectly and unless you have an exact match on your wheel um, your wheel won't will go in to your frame because the um, because the disc will rub or won't even go into the, um, the housing area for the brake pads it's very, very interesting that that's the, the big hang-up. There was this weird thing where people were like, well, I might get cut with my disc brakes, which has proven to be a non-issue. And 
yeah so how do you change out um how do you change out wheels really quickly on a bike and uh when, when it's disc brakes and somebody's just throwing a wheel at you to put on there you can't just grab a wheel and put it on you know um and on a regular caliper brake bike you can adjust the calipers out you can wide widen them pretty easy and i've actually heard that on a disc brake bike you can do it almost as almost as easily you just kind of got to know how but also everything needs to be the same standard so i think we're actually going to see some changes in that so that this uh, keeps progressing that way and that's the way things might be headed okay uh last cool bike technology news is uh morph tech released or started shipping and delivering uh these handlebars and these handlebars are so cool they um they look weird they look kind of like upright bars and they fold forward into arrow bars so if you're in the arrow position you have no uh bullhorns you have no uh outside bars i guess we'll call them that and when you have when you're in the outside bar position you have no arrow bars um what it does is when you're in the arrow position it reduces a ton of drag because you don't have the bars hanging off to the side and then you say um well what if i uh need to grab the brakes well the cool thing is the brakes are always in your hand it's really weird when you think about it but the brakes are always right there and then Let's see, what's the next question? <laughs> um, what if uh, I want to ride uh, uh, upright? And you're like, well, you just sit up. And when you sit up, you you push down. And then when you, when you sit up, yeah, the, the bars come with you. It's really, really weird. I rode them about a year and a half ago on a, a bike that the guy that invented them brought by. He's from the Houston area. And he brought them by my house, and we did a podcast. And I rode them in the dark and in the rain. It well, it hadn't. It, it stopped raining, so the roads were still kind of wet. But it was dark. It was like uh, five a.m. or something like that, six a.m. And we were riding by streetlights on wet pavement. And after a couple of tries, I kind of figured it out how to uh, ride them. And then it was like really intuitive. Every question that I had, he was like, oh, just ride it and watch. <laughs> and he was right every single time. So again, these are Morph Tech, M-O-R-F-T-E-C, I almost said K, T-E-C-H, Morph Tech. And these are uh, very cool handlebars. They're starting to be uh, delivered. They're on Instagram. And also there's a website. Uh, and also there's a thread on Slow Twitch if you want to if you want to check them out. So that's all the big triathlon news. All right. You may have noticed that lately, every episode, I've been trying to include a Zen teaching or Zen lesson that is applicable to us in the triathlon world. And I thought I would do the classic big question in Zen. That is one of the first questions that people have a lot of trouble with. You know, what is the sound of one hand clapping? Does a tree fall in the woods? Does a dog have Buddha nature? <laughs> you're like, you're like, what? What is What does that even mean? Does a dog have Buddha nature? And I'm going to explain all the parts of it for you right here so that you can roll into this world of Zen uh, knowing a whole lot more about what's going on. 
All right, this comes from a Zen master, a story about a Zen master answering a question. A monk asked a Zen master named Joshu or Joshu, J-O-S-H-U, does a dog have Buddha nature? Now, first off, you may say, you know, what is Buddha nature? And you may even say, are they even talking about a real dog in this? And yes, that is one thing for certain we know. <laughs> it's a... The non-weird part about this one is they're just talking about a dog, or just a regular old dog that you see walking around. Okay, that's covered. But Buddha nature. So what is Buddha nature? That can be um, taken some various ways, but in general, Buddha nature is the is is kind of like it. Basically, it's it's enlightenment, or you know, contentment, uh, clarity. Um, you know, I wouldn't call it happiness, but are you seeing the world, uh, yeah, well, clear, clearly for what it really is? Are you, are you, um, are you in the zone? <laughs> Although it's not, it's not really much about the, uh, the zone so much. That's kind of a side effect, but yeah, is a, is a dog enlightened? Let's, let's say that. Does a dog know really what's going on in the world? And that one is so odd that to to dogpile, haha. On top of that, Joshu gave three different answers. He gave a different answer at three different times because apparently this monk or you know a monk or two or three asked him this question several times and this is a thing in zen they're constantly these these stories of people are constantly testing each other i don't know why that's just what they like to do and so oh and people are also trying to learn themselves so you you learn by asking and testing the master and see like what what is their response so one time the zen master said joshu said yes a dog has buddha nature a separate time asked the exact same question he answered no and how's that possible right and then on top of that a wholly separate time a third time he answered moo m u which is a lot of people think that that's no and it's not it's actually chinese for um a null set like it's an unanswerable it's a can't answer but then he answers moo and then maybe like walked off that was like his complete answer okay so how can you have three answers to the same question and it goes back to knowing that the right answer to things is often Uh, quote-unquote, it depends. So, a lot of times Zen masters will will give an answer to a question and and they give different answers to the same question and, uh, and they do that on purpose. And it's to show you that um that it's to show the student that they're trying, the student is trying to grasp on to and hold something permanently they want a permanent answer and you can't have a permanent answer because things are always changing so on purpose they give a changing answer 
to allow the student, to force the student to let go. Because if you're gripping too hard on one reality, you're unable to work with another reality and just give it time. And, you know, another, another version of reality will present itself, you know, of, um, you know, for most of your life, your parents might be alive and then all of a sudden they're not right. So, uh, life is like that, you know, all for a lot of times you live in this one city and then all of a sudden you don't, right? So what city do you live in doesn't have a forever answer. It has a changing answer, right? What uh, triathlon, what sport are you doing today? <laughs> right? It's a changing answer. And basically, um, Zen is an offshoot of Buddhism and Buddhism teaches that people's problem that they suffer with the most in life is trying is that they try to hold on to something uh, when things aren't permanent. Everything changes all the time. And, and uh, there's a saying, you know, if you grip too tightly, you get rope burn, hold things loosely so that they can move and things work out a whole lot better. Okay. So does a dog have Buddha nature? Um, says yes. And then later says no. Uh, a lot of this also that when they give different answers is what, what does that person, the, the master or the teacher of any, of anything in life, um, has a different answer based on the person that's asking, right? Uh, different people need to hear different answers to get ahead in life or for life to be okay for everybody in general. You know, um, if a hunter comes up to me and asks, you know, should I have a gun and their job is to hunt, I don't know, deer or something like that, then yes, they need a gun, right? I've got somebody else that's um, a prisoner and they're in prison and they have severe bipolar disorder. And he asked me, should I have a gun? Well, the answer is no. So a lot of, <laughs> a lot of questions depend uh, on the person that's asking and the same person can require a different answer to the same question, um, you know, throughout, throughout the day. And you tie it back to triathlon, you know, should I eat, uh, they're, they're racing, you know, should I eat sugar right now? And you say, well, yes. And then they say, well, should I eat sugar right now? And it's like, well, no, you just ate sugar. So you just, you don't, you know, carbs, you don't need anymore. So the answer kind of changes. Okay. But now we get really deep and start asking the question about this moo thing. M-U, and it's fun to go uh, Google this. Does a dog have Buddha nature? And look up the Wikipedia answer. Because, and, and there's a whole bunch of other write-ups on it. But a really crazy and good uh, analysis of this question is no... It's an unanswerable question. Um, goes back to the fact that Joshu was in, was saying a dog can't have anything, right? And that's a really deep Zen uh, Buddhist concept: is you actually don't own anything. You don't have anything, and everything passes in life, right? Um, and especially if it's something that's not a material item, if it's more like a feeling or a concept and in Zen, they're always talking about, you got to watch out for concepts because concepts are not reality. You know, I can have a Coke can in my hand, 
but and there it's in my hand i have it in my hand but the idea of a coke can in my hand well that's not anywhere i don't see it you know so i can't have a visual concept of a coke can so if a dog has buddha nature another answer if you kind of want to go along the moo line of answering would be okay if somebody said yes then the smart ass answer back they're always zen zen students monks teachers masters are always trying to out smart ass each other or uh, oh really what pocket does he put it in <laughs> his this buddha nature of his it's like dogs don't have pockets now a kangaroo has a pocket so you could get him on that one you could, does a kangaroo have you know buddha nature and you say yeah he keeps it in his pouch um but no, dogs don't have anything, and they're not interested in having anything. So how can a dog have Buddha nature? And that's pretty much how the, the moo answer comes along. And it's also kind of like asking... Um, I'm trying to think of something that's not too negative. Because <laughs> the best examples are... Um, uh, you know, really like negative ones. Like, uh, uh, why did you, why did you, uh, kill that person with your, why did you kill that person walking down the street yesterday? And it's like, they're, you've moved past the, the fact that you didn't even do that. You know, you're like, well, I didn't. And they're like, well, answer the question. Why? You know? And you're like, well, I didn't. That's, that's like a null question. That's a, that's a moo. Moo, mu, which it's it's just this weird thing that it happens to be the same thing as the sound that cow makes in uh, in the United States, but uh, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. That's a totally separate thing. Um, so a really good one that's like really negative um, that that kind of falls in this line of, and it's a trap. These questions sometimes are the the Zen master can tell it's a trap, or a practiced Zen student can tell it's a trap. Um, so the answer is moo is something along the lines of, um, how long has it been since you stopped beating your wife? <laughs> you know, that's an unanswerable question because if you don't beat your wife or your spouse or whoever they're talking about, then you, you can't, you, you can't even answer the question, right? So the, the question is, it's actually a part where they're actually trying to talk past the question a little bit and trying to trap you. So um, I don't do politics on this show, but let's say Trump Trump said it's a trick. You know, we're going to make Mexico pay for building. We're going to build the wall. We're going to make Mexico pay pay for it. People move past the question of building the wall or not. Now they're on the whole thing is like uh, Mexico is going to pay for it, and people are all fighting about that, and that's exactly what he wants, and because uh, it keeps it in the front of people's minds. And they can envision a wall being built. And envisioning things is 90% of getting it done uh, and to, in people's minds. And the um, now they're just arguing actually who's going to pay for it or not. And he doesn't really care who's pay, who pays for it, but it's, you know, as long as it gets built. And, and again, that's politics. I don't, I don't want any emails about, about politics or anything like that. I try to stay a million miles away from that. But that's like a recent example of modern history where... Um, it's a trick. It's a trick statement or a trick question, and Joshu caught on to it, and in that case said, "Moo, that's a trick question. There is no answer. A dog can't have. Basically, a dog doesn't have, can't have Buddha nature. 
And then there's even a twist on that. And a dog can't have Buddha nature because we can't possibly know what a dog uh, has or hasn't as far as concepts and like what it likes or dislikes in general when it's something so foreign to us. And that's another thing that they're trying to point out in Zen is that unless it's a direct experience that you are having right now that knowing something is uh, nearly impossible. So it's like two steps away from knowing. One, you're not a dog, so you don't know. <laughs> and then also, well, you're not a dog and you're not that that dog, so how could you know? And then two, we don't even know if dogs know uh, enlightenment or Buddha nature anyway. Okay. So he sidestepped that entire question. All right. Now, how do we translate this into uh, triathlon, triathlon training and so on and so forth? Well, one thing I, I like to repeat a lot is that any good coach will answer a training question with, it depends, okay? There almost never is a perfect answer to a question that only has one answer. Uh, nearly everything has a sliding scale of a correct answer. It depends on where you live. It depends on your background of training. Um, it depends on your age and you know how you know uh, your weight, um, how hot it is outside. So a classic one is, how long do I need to train for an Ironman? Well, it depends. Have you done an Ironman ever? <laughs> if not, it's going to take you a long time. Uh, do you train a lot already and you've uh, done some Ironmans? Well, then you don't need to really train much at all. You just kind of need to keep what you're doing and give yourself a few weeks to taper, right? And and that's the uh, that's a, like a classic scale of uh, it depends. And that's also why a training plan is just a guideline. Um, it's full of um, different possibilities and circumstances and you need to be flexible and sometimes the answer is yes. Let's say it's got a one-hour bike ride with three uh, five-minute long intervals in there. Should I do that workout? Well, uh, this person over here, yes. That person over there, no. <laughs> because um, this person has a... Um, uh, they haven't done any interval work lately and they need to do an interval ride. That person over there just did bike intervals this morning or yesterday and they definitely um, should not do that. They need to do uh, long and easy. And then moo would be the answer of, this person doesn't even own a bike right now. They either have don't own one or um, they're on vacation and there is no bike available. So that's a dumb question. You can't even answer that, okay? So that is the story behind does a, does a dog have Buddha nature and how you can translate that into triathlon? I encourage you to go check it out. Um, another one came to go check it out online. Uh, Google it and look it up. And I encourage you also to think about it this way, that does a dog have Buddha nature? That's like asking if a dog likes Picasso, right? One, we don't even know if a dog likes art. Do, do dogs appreciate art? 
there's something where like elephants can make like paintings and stuff and they sometimes like to do art but we're not really sure that they appreciate art and you know a dog probably even less so we're not really sure if a dog appreciates art and then does a dog even if it did appreciate art you know how would we even know if it likes picasso or not because picasso is a very specific artist and a dog doesn't um speak english to tell us <laughs> if it likes uh picasso or not um yes and yes dogs definitely do have emotions and dogs def dogs definitely um have personalities and all that stuff I'm, i've gotten into many arguments with some people about how inte- super intelligent dogs are and how um you can totally see if you get to really know dogs you can totally see that they have a lot of emotions and all that but one is you know about artwork we're not really sure i think about i'm not uh, whether dogs appreciate art or not i know dogs have a favorite toy they're super excited when certain people show up dogs are some dogs are afraid of this some dogs love that anyway dogs are very complicated i know that okay and let's see i think that is it for our um our buddha nature question and if that confused you more than it helped you that's okay as well because the answer is it depends because the answers in zen are never solid right they're about direct experience as bruce lee said the finger pointing at the moon is not the moon the moon is the moon so you know it's like the reflection of the moon isn't the moon the, the actual moon itself is the moon and you have to ask your your questions like these to yourself yourself and learn the answers and what they actually mean to you and if you were going through zen study and you had a zen teacher assigned that it's called a koan one of these basically it's an basically unanswerable question right they assign you one of these unanswerable questions and then you come back with them to them with your answer and what you have to demonstrate to the zen teacher is that you haven't fallen in the trap of trying to know the exact answer and also trying to see the world in concepts only and uh an attachment that you don't have attachment to being right about the answer and if if you can do that and the and the the answer is is not one particular answer that you know it's not like 2 plus 2 is 4 it's more like you give your answer back to the zen master and the zen master kind of reading knowing you and knowing uh, your history because this is a depends thing can tell whether your answer your answer to the question shows uh, how well that you've um, learned to not be attached and to be in the present and not be caught up in the past the future wanting things that you don't currently have or thinking that you own things forever you know all that stuff that we talked about previously and 
that's why there is no exact answer. Um, the answer is more of a statement by you and how you experience life. And also um, your teacher will say, I think you got it. There, there's like a more formal saying. And then they, then they give you another one, <laughs> another unanswerable question. So does a dog have Buddha nature? Is, you know, and then you come back with your answer. And your answer should show something that you're like in the moment. Um, and it can't show that you've been thinking about it a lot in the past. And you've, you pull out a piece of paper and read a paragraph off. It, needs, it has to be a spontaneous answer. So let's say you're sitting in a field in the sunshine. And your master asks you this question. You're sitting uh, uh, cross-legged in front of him. And he says, let's say your last name is Smith. Oh, student Smith does a dog have Buddha nature and you you sit there and then you look you feel around you and and then you say you know the sun is hot on my back or you could say the sun is the sun is hot on the student's back right that shows that you're not caught up in the um, in the past you're not thinking about the future you're right here right now with that teacher and depends on the teacher. The teacher may say, wow, that's, uh, wow, that surprised me. That's a good answer. It kind of jolts the teacher a little bit, especially if it jolts the teacher and it wakes up the teacher about what's going on in the present. And you've earned some bonus points right there. And then the teacher may say, that's a good answer. The teacher may say, oh, I've got a live one here. Somebody that thinks they're super smart. And then ask you back something like, oh, you own a back now? Um, is your robes that you're wearing? I don't say you own a bag now. Oh, are you? Um, let's throw that one out. Let's say, uh, oh, your clothes are are hot. Because let's say uh, you answered back, uh, the sun is hot on my robes, right? And then the the teacher would say back, oh, those are your robes that you own now, huh? And then you would have to... Now you're thinking on your feet. Now you have to be like, oh, shit. And, and you'd have to come back with something like, not my robes, not your robes. But they are my robes, and they are your robes. Neither mine nor yours. Just present in the sun. I don't know, something like that. I'm just, I'm just making it up. You can see I'm not like fully enlightened or anything like that. <laughs> and the teacher would go, oh, okay. Now we're getting, now we're getting somewhere. You are really, that was a surprise question. Um, and you answered that one showing that you're not, you're not thinking that you own things that can't be owned. Because robes, you can't own robes. You can't own your clothes. They're not yours forever. They're eventually going to um, wither away and, and disappear in the dust, just like you. And yeah, okay. So that was a long tangent on uh, Buddha nature. So hopefully that helps a little bit. Oh, and like I said, if it's if this is confusing to you, that's okay. The, it takes a long time to get comfortable with this. You don't really figure it out at first. You you kind of get comfortable with it a little bit, and then it it kind of settles in your mind a little bit, and then you start to get it, you know, and then you start to see it all around you at all all times. For example, my Zen of right now as I'm looking at a fence across from me. Um, and the fence, while it is a fence, um, it's also not a fence. 
it's it was trees and in the future it'll be rotten and it already is starting to show signs of rot and it's both uh keeping things out but it also keeps things in and then it's also a solid barrier but i can also see through it because there's there's slats um some some of the boards are old and some of the boards over there are brand new um and I'm not sure why. Some of the fence is tilted, some of it's forward. So how much of it is actually really fence? And how much of it is an illusion or just a concept of a fence, right? Because if I, it's a fence to me, you know, or a dog, but to my car, it's not a fence. I could just drive right over it because it'll fall right over because it's not very a very strong fence, see? So that's the Zen of in the moment. Okay, you can see this stuff at work with uh, your triathlon gear, for example, you have um, your most important thing in the world is your running shoes and for a while and then they're worn out, you know, and who's actually doing the running when you're wearing running shoes? Is it you or is it the shoes? And then your bike, your bike is so important, but what's, what is the bike? Is the bike the wheels? Is the bike the handlebars? Is the bike the frame? Is it all of it together? Because sometimes you ride it with certain wheels and then sometimes you ride it with other wheels. So does your bike have four wheels or does it only have two, right? So it, that, that demonstrates um, how well, you know, you have a grasp of Zen and, and how, how much we do things with just concepts of things. And then when, when things don't work out, someone steals your bike. Are you still a triathlete? Because a bike is required for triathlon. So if you have no bike um, or there's no pool around, are you still a triathlete? If, if you have done a triathlon, uh, if you haven't done a triathlon in, you know, three years, are you still a triathlete? Um, having done an Ironman, are you still an Ironman 10 years later, even though you haven't done one in 10 years? Or does that fade and is that gone? You know, Iron Man is a concept. It's not an actual thing. I can't hold an Iron Man in my hand, in the palm of my hand, right? Now, I can meet a person that's done an Iron Man, you know, but are they an Iron Man? And maybe they are an Iron Man when they cross the finish line of an Iron Man, but the next day or a week later, they're an attorney, right? They're not an Iron Man anymore, but are they? Because they've done an Iron Man. So once you start seeing how all these concepts, um, we try in our mind to think that these things are solid, but they're not. And the more you're able to move the pieces around and being okay with uh, being presented with with, uh, the fact that things do move around on their own, um, the better, the more well-adjusted you'll be in, in life. And I like to say a lot of times that being enlightened is just like being well-adjusted, right? Somebody comes up to me and says, oh my gosh, this was a big one. I did three self-supported Ironmans before I did, maybe I did two. But anyway, I did a few um, self-supported Ironmans before I actually did a Ironman brand Ironman. And I knew a guy that would that told me and believed in in the fact that I was not an Iron Man until I did an Iron Man brand Iron Man. <laughs> and I was like, dude, you're just paying a company to do the exact same thing. I did the exact same distances. And he's like, um, no, you're not an Iron Man unless you do the Iron Man brand. And then check this out. 
I did a twist on him, threw it right back in his face. And I said, did you know that there are people out there that, that say you aren't an Iron Man unless you've done the Iron Man in Hawaii? And he, and he hadn't done that one. And he was like, what? Well, that's not true. And I said, hey, that's your opinion, man. There's some people that think that you aren't an Iron Man until you do the Iron Man in Hawaii. And that made him see what it felt like to be told that he's not an Iron Man, right? And that flipped his world upside down. And some of you may be going, wow, that's pretty cool. I, didn't, I did not know that. Well, let me throw another one at you. There are people out there that think, <laughs> and they're being absurdists at this point, right? But they will tell you that you aren't an Iron Man unless you did the very first Iron Man, that first time that they ever did it in Hawaii. And that can, the, only those people that finished it did it. And every Iron Man since then has been a copy of the first. It is not the original. And it'll never happen again and nobody else will ever be able to do that iron man and be be an actual true iron man except for the people that did it that day um that location and it's changed since then it's not even in the same location anymore you can't even go do it in the same spot anymore everything's moved so how about that does that rock your world a little bit okay that is it for the concept of does a triathlete have buddha nature don't hold things so tightly be wary of concepts, keep things moving, be able to go with the flow, stay grounded and well-adjusted, and you'll move more effortlessly and enlightened through this world. Okay, that's enough of that stuff. Let's go, on, let's go ahead ah, and get started with the training log where I take you with me with a whole lot of training all over the place, swimming, biking, running, random stuff. Got some good stuff in this one. And that's it. Here we go. You are entering the Zentrite training log zone. Hi, everybody. My name is Brett. I'm a trash. I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But, Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on, dudes, let's go exercise! Exercise! I'm gonna do sit-ups till I poop myself! All right, let's have the uh, beginning of a training log here. I'm at Camp Orr, Arkansas. We're gonna wrap this up real quick. Just uh, one last entry while we're here. It didn't make it in the last show because it happened uh, before, it happened after I started wrapping up the editing. Uh, We had a rattlesnake in our campsite last night. (laughs) It came out from under a tent and at some boys in the, at night in the dark. It just gotten dark and came at them. And then they started screaming and running around, Mr. Blagner, Mr. Blagner, there's a rattlesnake. So we all come out with flashlights and then it proceeded to go under somebody else's tent. They all got out yelling. And then um, the next tent it started trying to aim for had four or five boys in it playing cards or something like that and it was one of the funniest things i've ever seen in my life when uh, at first we told them stay in your tent you know to keep them safe but then when we saw it was coming for them get out of your tent get out of your tent 
and to watch them pile out of the out of their tent i said it was like a watching clowns pile, pile out of a clown car with uh but they're on fire <laughs> and uh we eventually uh caught it and uh, the camp staff relocated it but it was i don't know what kind of rattlesnake it was but that was an adventure and now kai and i are about to get in the xterra and drive up the steepest continuous uh, road gravel dirt rock road to get out of this campground to get cell signal to get a get a message out to the families that we're leaving tomorrow on time everything looks good because they haven't heard from us in about four days and we're down in the uh, buffalo river buffalo national river river bottom um, it's cliffs all around and uh, getting out of here is going to be an adventure. I was really worried it was going to rain. You got him? But it didn't. So the road will be dry. Here we go. Open her up. Let's load up. All right, we are back. We are on our way to W2ERK. Had a great run this morning. So good. I, um, as we all know, this podcast has slowly evolved into the plantar fasciitis podcast. And I've uh, been trying to overcome it, and it's worse than my right foot. Almost done with it completely in my left foot. I just have to be careful. And I've realized that my foot rolls in when I run, and also on the bike. Um, and so I've got this running loop. And I've, I run all over my neighborhood and stuff, but I've realized over time there's two things that make it worse. And it's running uphill. So these are tips to... Um, if you've got plantar fasciitis, things that might help you out. Uh, running uphill that uh, pulls on your calves and your calves are uh, tight. Tight! And then um, overnight, uh, they pull everything tight and then things can't heal. They need to be loose to heal in the right place. And then when you stand up in the morning, things are too tight and they rip apart again. So the cure for that is don't run uphill and then wear a... Uh, night boot. Look them up on Amazon. They're only like 30 bucks. They're great. Hold on, sip of coffee. Very excited, but I'm trying to remain calm. Oh, ADD side moment, squirrel moment. I'm trying something new. I'm wearing flip flops to and from work. Like I leave my work shoes in the car. And then uh, as soon as I get in the car, leaving work I put on my flip-flops and then when I get in the car in the morning I just bring socks with me and when I pull in the parking lot I switch from my flip-flops to uh, my work shoes and put them on and then go to work I'm trying to see if that's a uh, relaxing method coming to and from work a lot of things are mental buddies and anyway where was I oh so I've the other thing is whatever foot you have plantar fasciitis on, notice if the ground is sloped inward, downward, inward and downward uh, on that foot whenever you go run and on your bike shoes and on your cleats because that rolls your ankle in and then that pulls on things and tears them up. So I found this running loop. Over time, I've just slowly modified it and modified where 
if it's if there's crown on the road I'm running on the right hand side of the road and I found the side uh, the sidewalk over time sidewalks get the foundations under them the dirt and everything uh, slopes off and even though it looks flat it's actually turned in or out the chances that it's totally flat is uh, very uh, it's like impossible so it's sloped one or the other and I've realized running one way on the sidewalk it hurts my feet it hurts my right foot but running the other way it doesn't hurt and it's because if it's sloped so that the instep is higher um, then your foot doesn't roll in as much so I wanted to give that tip for those of you I was jogging this morning in my ultra Escalantes which basically have the Adidas boost material in them but they have no um, high heel they're flat but lots of cushion they're fantastic I just love those shoes so I had this fantastic run this morning, just jogging. Did seven miles, I think at a 9.40 pace. I'm just jogging along, very, 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 very nice. And I wanted to give another tip. What was it? Hmm. Oh, I'm trying out uh, sporttrack.mobi just for a few workouts. I've got a lot invested in in um, training peaks. I mean, I got thousands of workouts built in there and stuff that I can, as I coach, I can drag and drop them uh, to people. And also, oh, the other thing was I wanted to mention, well, let's see two things. Um, only one cup of coffee before running this morning. Then I didn't have to pee every freaking. 20 minutes <laughs> and there was something else what was it you could tell I'm really relaxed that run was really really nice oh I tried running last night so I had taken a week off from running and then I ran a couple days ago seven miles uh, jogging I think I talked about that hopefully I talked about that before I don't know if it recorded or not though and then I'm gonna take another sip of coffee I'm almost done here and then uh, and then tried running last night and I had this I have this problem where if I run in the evening after dinner a lot of times I have this huge energy fade like I can't I just feel so weak and I've got to figure out what's going on thought it was caffeine but I had hardly any caffeine yesterday afternoon and evening I'd like some green tea once and then um, is it because I ate a bunch of junk crappy food uh, for dinner and then my stomach was all full and then when I tried to go run all the blood's going to my stomach but anyway it's really annoying um, but success has to do with um, how you handle problems thinking that you're not going to have problems is not going to serve you well in life uh, Buddhism which Zen is an offshoot of uh, says the the 84th problem is the problem. <laughs> and what problem is that? It's thinking that you shouldn't have the 83 other problems. <laughs> it's so old school philosophy. Life has problems. So it's actually all what you do with your problems that uh, makes you a su success or not. It's how you handle them. So last night, my run started sucking half a mile in. I was like, oh my God. And, and I was sore because I hadn't run for a week and then I ran seven miles. So I was sore. My form was all like floppy and crappy. And to succeed in that situation, I uh, changed my goal 
and I ran walked instead. So you have to have the self-control to um, cut a workout short. I was on this loop. It's a two-mile loop. I run two, two-and-a-half-mile loop that I run a bunch of times. So I cut the uh, run loop short and um, only ran one loop and actually walked a bunch of it. Walked, ran, walked, ran as I felt necessary. Cashed it in and said, if my legs are sore enough that my form is crap, I'm actually um, probably doing more harm than good. You shouldn't work out with bad form. Because one, you're teaching yourself bad form. And two, um, you're encouraging injuries, which I've already got plenty of. I don't need any more. All right, that's it. I got to go into W to the ERK been getting a lot of compliments on the show that people like the uh the return of the training log and me just yakking about whatever so i'm excited i'm glad to do it all right that's it out bang i'm trying to get over the plantar fasciitis and i did a really good job still the tiniest bit of it left over so i did two things one i looked at my cleats and my right cleat and my right foot's the one that still hurts the most my right cleat was pushed out outboard a little bit and that actually makes your foot roll in a little because it doesn't have as much platform under it, under the big toe. And so I moved that inward and I could actually tell, I moved the cleat inward, which gave support under the inside of my foot. And I could tell my foot didn't want to roll in as much. Um, so I like that. That was smart. And then the other thing is part of my uh, biking plantar fasciitis injury is I go too hard on the bike and I'm trying to come up with, with strategies to to minimize that you know, how do you go easier on the bike but still have a good time that makes your time worth it there's some girls selling lemonade in the park <laughs> little girls and one way is to make uh, your ride entertaining but without actually targeting anything so I started, I fixed the TV in there. The TV has been hardwired just to run off my laptop. And on my laptop, it's either Zwift, which is super competitive and hard. There's another lady. She's trying to walk or wash her dogs. I can't tell what she's doing. And then, oh, what's the other thing? I'm watching YouTube videos, but most of my YouTube videos aren't like TV. They're like point of view, cycling. I like watching... Uh, bike races and Ironman races and stuff and they get me too excited I pedal too hard so I fixed the cable box so the signal coming out of it uh, also was run to the TV and last night I biked while watching the Simpsons and I can't remember oh family guy just some pointless crap you know but that kept me entertained the only thing I can't stand is freaking stupid commercials but I got this idea I think I mentioned it last episode the guy that won my age group and qualified for Kona at Ironman and he's he's done it a bunch he's kind of famous Sam Guide G-Y-D-E at um, Ironman Texas and he's just he's just great he's an awesome athlete there was an interview with him and they said what do you do to pass the time on the bike on the bike trainer because he lives in a place where he can't bike outside a lot and he said he likes watching, um, even though he's in Germany, he's a Houston Rockets fan. He watches NBA basketball. And I read that and I was like, that's really, really smart. Because, put it in park here. 
Because if you're going for big volume, the danger, the hard part is getting in the time. Uh, the easy part is that you should go easy. But with that much time on the trainer, it's really, you're really exposing yourself to a lot of time on the trainer where you could accidentally go too hard, too frequently. So you have to come up with a method to spend three hours on the bike, but also three hours where you never go really hard, that you go just kind of easy to moderate at most. And so you have to have something distracting on TV. And it's basically like you don't want to throw hills, like mass, a really hilly bike ride at yourself on the trainer. And you can do that if you're training to the wrong thing. So how do you make your bike ride just relatively easy? And I don't, I don't like watching basketball games. I'm sure I would. I mean, I used to play basketball a lot. And, but to me, the commercials drive me crazy. <laughs> I found uh, soccer has no commercials, but it's a little bit too slow. I love soccer, though. Played that a lot, too, growing up. Uh, so I'm still looking for the right thing that has almost no commercials and is um, really entertaining. So I've, I watch UFC fights and then, uh, I mean, Netflix is okay. I guess I could find more TV shows on Netflix. I'm always like too snobby. I'm like, I won't like that. That's stupid. I won't like that. I'm just like sorting through them. But then when finally I do get forced to watching stuff, I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> I, I just don't know. Anyway, I had those couple little updates. And um, I'm actually going to go run tonight. It's going to be so hot. Oh, my gosh. It was 100 degrees today, I think. High humidity. Wind out of the south coming up from the Golfo de Mexico. And we're back at it, buddies. But tonight, I'm going to go jogging. Just jog. All right. That's it. Out. Bang. Oh, I'm back. <laughs> I forgot something. During my run, I was listening on Pandora to a radio station I made. Um, started with the band or the song. I think it's a band, Lo-Fi Samurai. It's really good. That's a real plus I wanted to share with you. I'm about to hop in the pool here for a second. And then, and then, I was noticing something. That is a useful training tip. I'm trying to get these socks off while I go. I'm trying not to talk too loud in case there's people out in the yard behind me. But um, frequency. So everything in the world has a uh... oh, there is a neighbor. Hold on. All right, we're back. I've turned on a little, I've turned on the pool. What's got little fountains that run off the side, create some white noise so I can actually talk without feeling like I'm being uh, spied on or something like that. Anyway, <laughs> the, uh, now we're waist deep in the water. This feels good. We're gonna test the chlorine too while we're here. Frequency is um, something you see in nature. And if, uh, oh my gosh, there is a fence board missing. 
there's a lot of fence boards missing. Oh crap. I guess they were working on the fence yesterday. And last night. Hmm. We're gonna have to walk the dogs instead of letting them out in the backyard. My neighbor told me they were gonna start doing that. week ago okay <laughs> that's all the hammering that was going on last night the fence is starting to fall down so they're between the houses so they're replacing it anyway I um noticed watching a video a while back it was a slow-mo video of the different frequencies that dogs shake to get water off their back or water off their fur you know and um, small dogs shake faster and oh and they show like tigers and stuff like that too right so bigger animals shake slower but what it is um they have a different diameter and radius and uh, so when they shake around their center axis at the outer points the um speed is pretty much at the circumference the uh the line of the circumference the speed is pretty much the same um, because it's basically like a wheel diameter. Um, hey, no, 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 no. Hey, Emily, get him back. Emily, Kai, get him back. The fence is down over here. Get him back. Get him quick. Well, that was a complete cluster F. Note to self, I had to start a whole new recording. The end of the, uh, the pool escapade ended up being just insane. Dogs almost got out. And then I'm trying to relax and uh, get my thoughts together. And then the rest of the family uh, decided to have, sorry, I was looking at a text message, decided to have a uh, family meeting all of a sudden all around me. <laughs> But everything that's going on today, and I'm like, I'm trying to record a podcast. That's the life of a podcaster, though. And I just got an important text message. So hold on just a sec. All right, so what I forgot to mention earlier is that I'm working on a reverse triathlon. I ran for an hour, then I'm going to... already biked for an hour, just finished. I'm walking through the kitchen right now, so it's all echoey. And then I'm going to swim for an hour. So the run was seven miles and so it was an hour and five minutes or something like that. And then the bike was, it was 27 miles on the trainer, but that's flat ground. So probably like 24 miles and on the bike, pretty excited. It only took seven minutes to warm up. I almost forgot about it. I was like, Oh, I'm warmed up. And I've found that that's true. If I run first, then my legs are, and I don't run too hard, then my legs are all nice and warmed up and I can actually start biking and feel better faster but then the end of the ride is a little bit harder and I was watching um uh, there's two new bikes out so there's some videos on YouTube about the new BMC uh, and these are road bikes not tri bikes and the new Cannondale um Cannondale still refuses to call it an aero road bike Come on, people. And I love Cannondale. I think Cannondale's awesome. Uh, 
Oh, and I used to have a BMC. I love BMC too. Two great bikes. Very interesting features on them. So go check them out. I agree with them strongly. Uh, let's see, especially the BMC stuff. There's a storage box down below where the uh, two bottles go on the uh, frame. They make a little triangle down there, that space. They filled it with a uh, container to hold your tire change kit, which is really smart. So we're gonna see that on more and more bikes, I bet. The uh, DI2 electric electronic shifting junction box is underneath the front bottle cage. I don't necessarily agree with that because that stuff leaks and then you're gonna get a shiz ton of um, sugary, sticky crap down in there. And let's see, that was fun. And then I was watching a video about, oh, Dirty Kanza, which is a gravel road ride. That was a nice video. And then a preview of the Tour de France, which was a nice video. And the whole time I was kind of doing over-unders where I was um, going, I just ride normally and then I realize I'm going a little bit too hard than I should. So then I back off a little bit. <laughs> and then over time I realize I'm going a little bit too hard. So then I back off a little bit. So it's just like very natural um, riding, which has to do with frequency, which I wanted to get uh, talking about here. If a dog shakes its fur, a bigger dog shakes slower, but because the fur is further out from the center, it's actually moving just as fast as a little dog shaking quickly. Um, the fur is, and that shakes the water off. There's a slow motion video of this on the internet showing that even though the big dog moves more slowly, um, it's just as effective as getting the water off as a dog that's uh, smaller, um, shaking faster. And it's just really, really cool that there's a natural frequency with everything in life. And I noticed this, again, I was shaking water bottles. Uh, the best way to mix up whatever you're using as a fuel, if it's like some kind of powder or something in a water bottle, is to fill the bottles halfway with your uh, mix um, and water. And then you've got all that empty space. And then when you shake them, um, all that empty space allows us up to slosh around real good. And that, that sloshing allows it to mix. Like if you filled it all the way to the top, it actually, it takes a lot longer to mix stuff because there's not enough action in the water. So I noticed um, shaking these bottles, got one in each hand because I'm doing two water bottles for a long workout. And the, um, the interesting thing is there's an, a frequency that's comfortable, just a shake, 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 but shake, 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 actually tires you out, doesn't feel natural. There's a frequency that actually feels natural to shake things. And there's a frequency that's actually natural to do everything. So I was thinking about that. And then on my run this morning, I was, I was realizing, you know, your cadence is a frequency, um, how fast you're actually going. And one really great way to train is to just search for the frequency that feels appropriate at the moment. That just feels easy, but not too fast and not too slow. And I was like, what does it depend on? And it depends on how tired you are, how sore you are, and how much, well, how much energy, which is how tired you are. And I guess the slope, you know, but you should always be looking for that. It's like, there's a frequency to do everything that's right, that feels good. And then with long distance endurance training, it's more about volume than anything else. So you just need to feel good while you're training. 
and that way you get in the volume and the, the volume takes care of pretty much everything else. I mean, you mix in intervals and stuff, but what is the frequency that actually feels appropriate? And that's one of the things that you should be searching for is the beat. And you can go a little bit faster, a little bit slower and look and go, mm, no, it was better where I was. <laughs> uh, one thing on running is be careful of ground contact time. People that are slow runners actually spend more time with their feet touch contacting the ground and faster runners actually contact the ground and then are back off of it again. They spend more time in the air with light touches on the ground. I don't know if it's light, but less time actually touching the ground and more time in the air. Um, so a slower runner will actually foot hits the ground and then if you calculated the time the foot's actually on the ground, it's actually like a really long time compared to a faster runner. All right, that's it. I'm going to uh, have a little bit of eggs and a biscuit and then go hit the, hit the pool. And um, let's see what kind of uh, swim we can get in. Feeling pretty good. And it's 4th of July, we're gonna barbecue this afternoon. All right, leaving Gold's gym. Ooh, it was packed. Fourth of July, middle of the day. I saw on the website, the Universal website, that the, uh, a lot of Gold's gyms are closed on Fourth of July. Ours is closing early. Looks like it's about to rain. So I am done with my three hours of glory. <laughs> that was a uh, one hour swim. I cranked out 4,300 yards in 59 minutes and 58 seconds. Um, talking about frequency, uh, speeding up my frequency a little bit and then my cadence. And then what that does is actually allows you to breathe more frequently. And in swimming, quite possibly for a lot of people, your biggest limiter, once your form is okay, your biggest limiter is oxygen. So if you glide too long, then you start having to slow down because you're not getting enough air because you're not breathing frequently enough because you can't breathe with your face underwater, people. Oh my God, listen to all these car keys. But that was nice. I had a beer after every, <laughs> well, after, uh, after the run and I had a Scheinerbach and then after a, um, which is a Texas beer. It's a good beer, German beer. And then I had a, uh, what was the other one? Oh, after the bike, I had a Shiner Buck. But I could feel when I was done swimming, everybody's driving a giant SUV or pickup truck. Come on, people, get out of the way. I could feel after the swim, I'm starting to get light, uh, low blood sugar and shaky because I really haven't had much to eat today. I fueled, <laughs> fueled uh, every workout. And I've had a little bit of eggs and a couple of uh, biscuits. But aside from that, I am, uh, I really haven't had much. I had a bowl of cereal early this morning. But I started at 6 a.m. and now it's 12.40. <laughs> I finished at like 12.30. And, oop, running the yellow light. And so that's a lot of hours without uh, much fuel. So the next beer I have is going to be a 
whopper because low blood sugar plus just a little bit of alcohol equals and an empty stomach equals uh woohoo good buzz so i think that's it that's my um reverse triathlon that reminds me one one of the reasons they don't do reverse triathlons is when you hit the water your legs start cramping up and then that can send you to the bottom which doesn't stop the SOS triathlon survival of the Shawangunks 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 in New York which I've done at least twice can't remember now how many times I've done it it's a very very cool triathlon it's about the length of a long half Ironman very long half Ironman and it's got three different swims mixed in so you're trail running and then you gotta swim across a lake and run and then swim across a lake so it uh you hit the water and the water's cold so it seizes up your muscles <laughs> if you want to do a race where they do mix in the swim a lot then that's one uh, it's really hard to get into though they have uh, limited slots all right that's it i gotta get into the house we got guests coming over to barbecue and um, I bet one of them is going to want to see the uh, training room. And it's got dirty clothes hanging in it to dry off. You know how your bike turns into a clothes rack. So I need to kind of organize that just a little bit. All right, that's, uh, ah, that's it. Out. Bang. All right. We are back. I'm in the pool, finally. <laughs> I went uh, running this morning. So I did three hours yesterday, my reverse triathlon. And I'm always trying to pay attention to what works and what doesn't. And I'm noticing that my run, I had a good run this morning. My run is uh, much better now that I'm not trying so hard on the bike. And again, the trick to not trying so hard on the bike is fun. Yeah, I was thinking about this. Like you really have to remember that you're a triathlete and you're working out at least twice as much as a single sport person. So you have to be careful and not do too much. You just have to be okay at three sports. <laughs> and um, my bike ride yesterday, what did I do? I watched, I watched a whole bunch of YouTube videos. And what I'm doing is uh, I have a tendency, I'd say probably 80% of us have this tendency to go too hard. And uh, so basically, I'm just, my new training technique is I just catch myself going too hard and then back off. <laughs> and then naturally, the frequency is to start going too hard again. And I can tell, um, and then that's fine, that you end up with over-unders, which is a little bit harder than race pace, a little bit easier than race pace, a little bit harder than race pace. It's fantastic training. And... Um, so I can tell when I run the next day, you know, how beat up are my legs? Do I feel like I'm uh, too sore? I got muscles pulled, strains, all kinds of stuff. How fast do I get going? And considering all I did yesterday, I was just a tiny bit slower than yesterday. Got water in my ear and it, uh, it works out. So I'm actually uh, really excited and I think with the plantar fasciitis, uh, you know, one of, one of the major problems is, besides your feet rolling in, is your calves getting tight. And running in the ultras, um, they're zero drop, which means the heel is 
the same height as the forefoot. That actually stretches your calves out quite a bit. And um, I think I've got it nailed. Like it, it's uh, my calves don't feel like they're tight or pulling. Oh, oh um, I woke up this morning. I have a daily log where uh, in ticktick.com, I have a repeating task where I put in the comments uh, how bad my feet hurt when I uh, start running. Emily's walking out by the pool. That's a cool nurse's outfit. Uniform? I don't know. What do you call it? And um, I woke up this morning, and in spite of all that I did yesterday, in one of my faster runs, my... Um, uniform. Uniform? Are you a waitress? Are you a blood waitress? Are you in my blood circle? <laughs> I'm recording right now. Oh, great. How was our 4th of July? It was good. It was good. You made the best of... Oh, Kona swam in the pool a lot. Oh, he's so happy. He was very happy. And he was rolling. He likes leaping into the pool. Zoe even got in. Yeah. And she... Oh, no. All right. Well, let me finish recording so I can go back in and shower. I can't record with you around since day one. Mm -hmm. They're full of opinions too. Zoe, come here. What's your opinion about everything today? Oh, really? Oh, Zoe's, or Kona's drinking out of the pool now. Okay. Anyway. So one smart thing to do to recover from injuries is to monitor your progress or progress. I listen to too many Canadian podcasts and then um, see what helps and see what hurts and just stop doing what hurts and keep doing what helps. <laughs> and I um, woke up this morning and I started walking and my heels didn't hurt. My feet were the tiniest bit tight, but then they went away and the tightness went away. My feet didn't go away. <laughs> I wasn't walking around on stumps, but the, uh, I was like, all right, cool. The, um, the over under at a moderate pace, uh, um, does work and running in the ultra shoes with the heel drop does work running on the, uh, right hand side of the road or on flat pavement, uh, like on a sidewalk, uh, works because that doesn't allow my, um, ankle to roll in as much and um, as things strengthen up and repair then eventually I can move to the middle of the road or to the left side of the road some but my right leg's actually longer than my uh, left and that's why I have that problem I've, I figured that out about 20 years ago and um, I need to ride it to run on the right side of the road more than the left because then the crown naturally has things even up or else I get knee pain on the outside of my knee, my right knee for my knee buckling in to try to shorten the distance. Whew. All right, that's it. I'm going to go in and uh, shower up for W to the ERK. This has been your mellow triathlon uh, update. <laughs> We're about to wrap up the show because I want to edit it, edit it on the plane on the way to San Diego, which is the uh, next adventure. Maybe we'll do some La Jolla swimming. All right, that's out. Bang.
just had a little bit of a, a Zen moment of enlightenment. <laughs> I was walking out to the car on my way to work after packing up all my stuff. And I've, I've had a hint of this actually very recently. And my feet kind of hurt. And then I thought, yeah, but your feet hurt in the way that they're that they're supposed to hurt because you've been working out. And it's just, you know, regular uh, aches and pains, not injury aches and pains. You know, like if you, if you work out and then the next couple of days you kind of sore or whatever, that kind of pain. And I haven't had that in so long. <laughs> that was so great. I was like, oh, it's not actually a problem if this is normal, hopefully. So I had that little bit of a moment. Also, I've been uh, trying to think of what we're going to do in San Diego, maybe uh, go uh, swim La Jolla Cove would be kind of cool. And then uh, maybe run in the treadmill at the hotel and kind of see what's going on with that situation. I, I really hate running on treadmills because they never set up enough fans. The last time I did a business trip and I was someplace for a week because I drove my car, I brought a standing fan. <laughs> So I could set it up in front of me and run without pouring and sweat all over the place because I had a breeze on me. And I was glad I did. It actually made a big difference. I had to carry this uh, fan in a big duffel bag down to the uh, workout room, but it actually uh, was not a problem. And also um, the Xterra has uh, worn through its tires. I have to get the uh, tires and I tried to get the vehicle inspected and it didn't pass because of um, the tires are worn down too much. So now I got to get those. I've got friends asking me to do the uh, Santa Rosa. I don't know, the, um, the Iron Man that's in the wine country. And they're pushing me to sign up. I need to reply back. And dude, I got to buy new tires. And Xterra tires are actually a little bit thicker and heavier. So they probably cost more. So that's not going to be cool. So that might be my thousand dollars worth of uh, worth of registration fee right there, unfortunately. So, but it does make me think about: Am I going to do an Iron Baby this fall? If my feet keep going the way they are, I mean, maybe it'd be pretty cool, pretty freaking cool. All right, uh, Iron Baby's the um, self-supported Iron Man I try to do every year. Skipped a couple years now. All right, that's it. Out, bang. All right, we are leaving the pool. Really good swim this morning. Really good. Got some great tips for you. Uh, I set my pace beep on my watch to a 123 interval. Because that's what I swam last time. But I was feeling like I wanted to uh, improve it a little bit. 123, 1 minute, 23 seconds per 100 yards. And I was swimming along and uh, started beating it pretty early on. So I decided to kind of stick with it. And the trick is to find my car keys. The trick is to swim the fastest that you can with the least amount of effort. And if you have a beep timer going, you can change up things change your technique and see what's faster right because if you start beating the beep 
think you're doing something right. If you start falling behind the beat, then you're doing something wrong. But a thing, a very important thing to remember is to put your AirPods in your AirPod case. Very important thing to remember is you have to do this without increasing effort. Same effort. And that's why I wish uh, we had heart rate in the pool a little bit better than we do. Because you can do this on the treadmill. You can go, okay, same effort or even lower effort. If I drop my hands a little bit or, you know, arch my back a little bit more to get my more lung space in your chest, then uh, do you start going faster? Do you pull your hands in closer? You know, elbows in a little bit more, elbows out a little bit more. Shorten up your stride, lengthen out your stride. All this stuff, but at the same heart rate, you know? You start going faster. It's awesome on the bike. You go, okay, I'm going to get lower on the front end. Well, then your heart rate starts going up because you're compressing your chest. And it's restricting your blood flow a little bit. Especially if you got a little bit of a beer belly, a little bit of a gut. Then um, you'll notice your heart rate starts going up. So yeah, you're a little bit faster, but also you're having to try harder, and that's not what you want. <laughs> you want to try less or the same and uh, go faster. So anyway, I'm swimming along, and I'm trying out different uh, swim techniques, and I mean, more than anything, you want to do high elbow, early forearm catch. If you don't know what that is, Google it, look it up. You want your hands to drop before your elbows. Um, medium high cadence. As fast as you can without trying. And actually the fast, it's just like biking. If you uh, get on a bike with a power meter, notice that you can, you can up your cadence, pedal, put it in an easier gear and don't, you can pedal faster and your power's the same. And it's actually less stress on your legs because it's less torque. And your muscles are way more sensitive to torque um, than cadence, than higher cadence, than frequency. Oh, frequency, that word again. But I was um, swimming along and I was trying out a position that was having really good results. I was beating the clock. I set it to a 123 initially and I, was, I started doing about what I figured was about a 125. I mean, a 125, 121. And I was like, man, I'm beating the clock. And there's something about beating the clock that psychologically is really nice. Um, it makes you motivated and happy and puts a grin on your face, which makes, which makes you train better. And I was doing this uh, elbows more out to the side and up. And my forearms more vertical in the water, but my upper arm more um, horizontal in the water and I was like how do I describe this to people because this is working I'm cruising and I'm not trying very hard I'm going faster than I thought I would and I was like oh this feels like push-up position and I've thought about that before so I um, I spent three years of my life in uh, Marine Corps or Navy Marine Corps, Corps, Texas A&M, Corps of Cadets, 
and also high school uh, Marine Military Academy, which is run by Marines. So I spent about three years of my life in push-up position on my face being punished, <laughs> which looking back is okay, but man, it was hard. But anyway, it felt a lot like being in push-up position. So I thought I would, via audio, try to describe to y'all how to do it, what it kind of feels like. Because that's a, that's a big thing. When you're trying to teach somebody how to do something right with technique, you teach them how it feels, how the right way feels, and search for that feeling. And then people can search for that feeling, and they can, uh, then they can succeed. So uh, get on your face, unless you're driving. Get on your face in push-up position with your uh, hands pretty much under your shoulders and your elbows out to the side. Maybe you're, yeah, not too short. Your hands wider than your shoulders. I'm trying to do it while driving. Yeah, your hands wider than your shoulders and elbows out to the side. Like your elbows pointing left and right, not back behind you. A lot of people do push-ups the wrong way. They're using their triceps, which are very small muscles compared to your pecs. Now, sit there in that position, get used to it for a minute, and put your chin on the ground. Your chest and your chin is on the ground. Your hands are wider than your shoulders, but elbows um, sticking out sideways from your body, not pointing backwards, but pointing out directly to the side, 90 degree angle from your body. That is where your hands should be when you're pulling. It should feel something like that. A push up, so maybe you're about, um, I don't know, six inches off the ground, right? Right like that. That is where your arm should be, right in the middle of the catch. Okay, so you can practice this by putting, you can lay back down. Now put your, uh, put one arm out in front of you so it, so you're streamlined with one arm. And now have that hand out to the side, your other hand, your pull hand out to the side. Chin on the ground. So you're very, very slightly looking forward. And then when you're doing this in the water, you should feel very neutral in the water. You shouldn't feel pressure, too much pressure on your chest and you shouldn't feel too much pressure on the on the uh, back of your head. You should feel um, just very neutral. And um, your legs together, toes pointed back if you can, and about like that. That is pretty much the, uh, the fastest technique. Um, the very top of the back of your head, uh, coming out of the water a little bit, water kind of trickling over the top of your head. Submerged on occasion, sometimes not, you know, it just kind of depends about like that. And then another thing is you need to practice what you're going to be doing in a race. Now in a race, you got to look forward some. So um, the best swimming advice is to swim looking sort of down and then on occasion looking forward because looking totally forward um, messes up your stroke a little bit. You're plowing with your face a little bit. So you just kind of want to peek up a little bit on occasion. Don't make too big of a deal out of it. But what I've noticed is if you, oh, search for a very slight arch in your back. And what that does is it gets your feet up and 
like we uh, talked about just a few minutes ago, it arches your chest just a little bit and that drives your chest down, which actually makes you a little bit faster because that lifts your legs up. And the, um, the, the compound effect of that is that it also opens up your lungs a little bit. It gives, it makes your chest cavity a little bit bigger. Um, so that you can take bigger breaths. When you do breathe, uh, you got more surface area in your lungs because you've got a bigger cavity going now and you can exchange air faster. Pretty cool, huh? That is your uh, swim tip of the day. This is definitely the last entry. Um, I'll wrap up the show with uh, comments and sponsors and I can do, I can do a little bit actually while I'm, uh, while I'm parking here and putting on my shoes. I'm driving with my flip-flops again. Maybe you can hear my feet on, my wet feet on my flip-flops. <laughs> Ooh, somebody's parking. Will you let me in? Oh, they pulled through. Let's see, we have Amrita bars. I got a box of Amrita bars right here in front of me. I'm very excited. I'm going to have some today as a snack at lunch. What flavors do we have? We have uh, Amrita bars, superfood variety pack. What flavors do I got? Oh, I got a mixed box. Pineapple chia, mango coconut. That might be my favorite. Cranberry raisin, apple cinnamon, and apricot strawberry. Yeah, uh, apricot strawberry is my other favorite. I got two of each. And these things are awesome. Uh, slow burn energy uh, keeps you uh, your blood sugar stable while you're working out. You can even eat them on the eat them on the bike. Gluten free, dairy free, soy free, high fiber, which is really smart. And you can get a discount with code Zen2018 or Zentry2018. Go to Amrita Amrita A M R I T A HealthFoods.com and go check them out. Say hi to our buddy, Arshad. Let me clip my swim bag here and get out my, uh, keep my swim bag in the vehicle. And where's my socks? I got socks with bicycles on it. <laughs> Hold on. Gotta roll up my window so I can actually talk to y'all without other people hearing me outside of the car, parking their cars. So the other uh, sponsor at the moment uh, that we need to bring up is... Martin, M-A-U-R-T-E-N. They're a fuel. Um, I dabble in fuels all the time, looking for what works the best. Honestly, um, lots of fuels work great for lots of people. A really good one uh, for the heat of the summer is Martin. And um, it's because they're, they have an ingredient that they've added to theirs that turns it from water into, um, as liquid as water, so it's easy to drink. Into a hydrogel. <laughs> can y'all hear me? I have to have the microphone over there so I can put on my shoes and socks in my car. Into a hydrogel. So it's more, once it passes your, uh, once it gets into your stomach, your stomach acid, I love this, I love the science of this. Your stomach acid interacts with uh, sodium alginate, which is a common food ingredient. Uh, it's very safe and it's actually found in seaweed. It interacts with that, turns it into a gel, a hydrogel. So now the fuel is encased in water and then your stomach goes, 
oh, this is a big particle. I'm gonna pass it on by into the intestine so it can start ingesting, ingesting in your intestine. And then, oh man, I'm late. I'm two minutes late. And then your body can use the fuel. So you can actually get in more calories using Martin. There we go, we got my shoes on. We got my shoes on now. You can drink, eat more calories using Martin, um, especially when it's hot. So go check them out. They're out of Sweden and um, they were part of the Nike project for uh, breaking the marathon. And people are loving it. It's so awesome. All right, that's it. I gotta go into W to the ERK. I got a meeting in 30 minutes and I need to eat something. Probably some Thai food that I got left over and an Amrita bar. How about that? All right, out, bang. Oh, Amrita bars are awesome for meetings. <laughs> awesome. They're not loud or crunchy, so you can just have a bite every once in a while. And um, people, people don't even know that you're like a super duper athlete. All right, that's it, out, bang. All right, we are wrapping up this show for good. I promise this is the last little bit right here. I'm in the Dallas airport on my way to San Diego. Be out there for a few days for work stuff and hop right on back. It's gonna have a good time. We'll record some good stuff out there. Uh, before I left, I just did an hour on the bike watching Tour de France at the same time. Tour de France. And it's... Uh, it's already looking crazy with uh, Froome being knocked off his bike into the ditch, <laughs> losing 51 seconds. It's pretty cool. And let's see, there was a, there's our announcements. There was a, I'm listening for my flight. The, uh, there was a new bike announced, another new bike for the tour. Oh shoot, I can't remember what it was. Oh, was it Specialized? No, Trek. And it's got the, um, adjustable adjustable rear suspension it's got the adjustable rear uh, suspension um, which is uh, really cool except that you have to stop the bike to adjust it they ought to put a little knob under under there and make it so you can adjust it on the fly I used to have a Cannondale full suspension mountain bike with a head shock you could turn the shock off and on while riding, in the middle of riding. It was really easy to do too. So they should do something like that. All right, let's see. Oh, we need to do show donors real quick. And I need to mention you can get discount, a discount on UCAN, which is a super starch. Discount code Zentry. And I've locked myself out of the phone here. <laughs> oh my gosh, let's see. Oh, last episode, I forgot to mention a bunch of donors. And uh, you can get your name mentioned on the show by going to the left-hand side of zentrathlon.com. Where also there's a ton of a backlog of old episodes posted. And you can either do a one-time donation or a recurring donation. So last episode, we have Derek Riddell, Justice Phillips, Karen Jackson, Brett Hoyer, coolest first name in triathlon, Simon Wright, Daniel Clemens, Rick Foster, Michael Radagna, Will Smith, what's up? <laughs> Jonathan Woodman, Hunshu, uh, John Moulin, uh, Tanya Roy, Katie, Joe, Favia, Peter Salzen, Matthew Heinz, because his name is always in all caps, Hans, 
Henrik Madsen. And it may be Madsen Hans Henrik. I don't know. Now, some of these may be a repeat because I'm lately getting a show out every two weeks. Let's see. Sharon. Sharon Pasternak, Allison Frutos, Spiros Fetsis, Tyler Moyer, Curtis Fossen, Joseph Deber, or Diber, uh, Dwayne Morin, and David Ziegler Vol. And David uh, sent in a one-time donation and mentioned that he listens to, um, or he read the ritual book, and he definitely likes Zentry a whole lot better, <laughs> which is fine. Uh, Rich Roll and I are actually friends, and uh, we go back a long way. He's helped me run some uh, training camps, and he's he's an all-around great guy. But we are definitely very different, and um, we're very 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 much the same and at the same time very different uh, and I'll let you uh, people out there discover how if you want and at one point we were much more alike than, uh, than different than, than we are different now okay now that I've got this uh, last bit all recorded I'm gonna hop on a plane and spend the two hours that we're flying actually uh, editing it editing it down into a show so next episode, we'll have a whole lot from San Diego. All right. That's it. Everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down. Out.